my message today is called Jesus Eats With Everyone. And um, I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm just reading all of chapter 9. And this is a story about, now you have to forgive me because I will get the pronunciation wrong, but Mephibosheth. And this brings out all my, and there's all my years of speech therapy. Remember no, my, my, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Mephibosheth. So, but it's this beautiful story um, that I want to share with you. Okay, now, for a bit of context, um, Mephibosheth, I might have to make up another name of him for him, was the, was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. Okay? Um, and Jonathan was a special friend of King David, but obviously, you know, King Saul and David weren't necessarily friends because Saul hunted him down for years to try and kill him. So, you know, that kind of puts any kind of friendship to the test when your, you know, your mate's dad is trying to take you out. But this is well after, this story happens well after um, it has happened. Both King Saul and Jonathan have, um, have died, and um, David has just returned from defeating all of Israel's enemies, okay? So it's chapter 9, so 2 seconds in your chapter 9, we'll just read right through so, one day, David asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show him some kindness in honour of Jonathan. It happened that a servant from Saul's household, named Zeba, was there. They called him into David's presence. The king asked him, Are you Zeba? Yes, sir, he replied. The king asked, Is there anyone left from the family of Saul to whom I can show some godly kindness? Zeba told the king, Yes, there was Jonathan's son, laying on both feet. Where is he? He's living in the home of Makra, son of Amiel and Lodabar. King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and he got him from the home of Makia, son of Amiel and Lodabar. Yeah, this is a little mouthful. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honouring David. David spoke his name, Mephibosheth. Yes, sir. Don't be frightened, said David. I'd like to do something special for you and you your father, Jonathan. To begin with, I'm returning to you all of the properties of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, you'll take all of your meals at my table. Shuffling and staring, not looking at him in the eye, Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you pay attention to a stray dog like me? David then called Zeba, Saul's right-hand man, and told him, Everything that belonged to Saul and his family I've handed over to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants will work in his land and bring in the produce provisions for your master's grandson. Mephibosheth himself, your master's grandson, from now on will take all of his meals at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. All that my master, the king, has ordered his servant, answered Ziba, your servant will surely do. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the royal family. Mephibosheth also had a small son named Micah. All who were part of Zeba's household were now, part of the, were now the servants of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, taking all of his meals at the king's table. He was laid in both feet. Just gonna. Awesome. So, here's Mephibosheth. Here's the last of his line. You know, his, his family had been killed in battle and he was crippled. So the reason that David, that side with the sheep was crippled was um, when he was five years old, 
Um, his father Jonathan was called in battle, his grandfather King Saul had already been killed. And fearing that the Philistines would seek to take the life of the young boy, um, a nurse or a servant in the house fled with him to um, Gabea, the royal residence. But in her haste, she actually dropped the child. And as a result of that, he became lame. And his feet were crippled. And then she took him to the land of Gilead, where he was found refuge in the house of Machir, son of Amiel at Lodabar. So here he was, the last of his line. Family killed in battle, and he was crippled. He'd been given refuge in the town of Lodabar. And that's where he remained for years and years. That's where he was when David found him. Now, Lodabar was a nothing town. Like... Nothing. Okay, so you know how like the nation makes fun of Gore? The Gore makes fun of a tower. Raise on the room. And, and like Gore makes fun of a tower. Well Lodabar would be who the tower would make fun of, okay? So you get the context, okay? It was a ghetto town, there was nothing there, okay? In fact actually Lodabar means um, no pasture. It means no word, no communication. Nothing good comes from Lodabar. It was a town of forgotten people. A place of isolation, of loneliness, of desolation, and no hope. Okay, so how often, when our circumstances seem impossible, do we take refuge in a place of Lodabar? How often, when we are crippled with pain, with shame, with guilt, with with, um, fear, or whatever, do we take refuge in a place of isolation, of hopelessness, of despair? And how often do we isolate ourselves and focus on what has crippled us, focus on that disability, focus on, on, on what has happened, focus on the past, rather than focus on the hope and the promises of God? And let's be honest, we all do it at some point. You know, we take refuge in these places, we pitch our tent there, and then we have a bit of a pity party. I'm going to be honest, I do love a good pity party at times, but it's kind of pretty hard to invite people along, because they kind of want to lift the mood, and I just want to wallow. So, it's not always fun. Pity party is a bit of a lonely experience. You know, we often will we'll, we'll pitch our tent in that place, but we're actually not supposed to make a camp there. It says in the word, um, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through the valley, not the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through the valley where things seem like they're crazy and I've got no control and I don't know what's going on. And it all seems dark and I don't know what to do. But I walk through the valley, not I sit there and pitch my tent and make a laugh for myself there. It's not, I go to Lodabar and I, and I, you know, this place of hopelessness, of isolation, of despair. And I, I spend the rest of my life there. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to walk through those places, to journey through those places, but not to make a life there. Because that's not what he has intended for us. You know, here's um, Mephibosheth in Lodabar, but his rightful place. That's not where his rightful place was. He was the grandson of the king. His place was in the palace. So King David, having defeated Israel's enemies, then ruled over Israel. And then one day he asked if there were any remaining members of Saul's family. And as soon as he has told about Mephibosheth, he goes directly to him. It says he did not waste a minute. He went there. Who am I that you will pay attention to a stranger like me? I mean, how often have we thought that we're so down in ourselves, so down in our circumstances? Who am I, God, that you will pay attention to me? 
Who am I, God, that, that you'll have that for me again? Who am I, God, that you'll, you know, um, that you'll provide for me? Who am I, God, that you gave your son so that he could give his life for me? Now, Mephibosheth didn't have a high opinion of himself. Life had been pretty tough. And then you have David, king of Israel, turn up looking specifically for him. I think it'd be pretty daunting. Let's be honest, your, your father's been killed. Your grandfather's been killed. In fact, it'd be pretty natural for him to be fearful. Um, his father had actually hunted David. Sorry, his grandfather had actually hunted David for years. So you could imagine that he's not thinking good things are about to happen. But David wasn't there to take Mephibosheth out. He wasn't there to take his life. He wasn't there to, to, to mock him or anything like that. He was there to restore what had been taken from him. Not just physically, but also to restore his honour, to restore his household, to restore his name. Yeah, I can think of another king who does that. Who lifts us out of a crippled state of isolation and bitterness, and he redeems us. A king who restores us, restores what has been taken from us, restores what has been lost, and makes us whole again. A king who brings reconciliation and restoration to families. Who picks us up out of the mess that we've made of our lives, or the circumstances that haven't happened. Picks us up out of being a victim and turns us into victors. And the food she ate at David's table just like one of the royal family. Such a simple passage, but so, so powerful. You see, Mephibosheth was aware of his limitations. You know, he was lame in both feet. Okay, it's pretty, you're gonna have a pretty good idea of what your limitations are. Levi, after he injured himself on his bike, and he knew his limitation. Even now, like in the process of healing, he knows what his limitations are. But, his lameness, his disability became his identity, became who he was, became his lens throughout how he filtered the world since his father's death. But David invited him to sit at his table and eat with him. A cripple, seated at the table of a king, desolate and alone, taking refuge in a dead big town, being told that his rightful place was actually in the palace. Honour being restored, past wrongs being righted. The king restored what was that had been taken from him. Now, I really believe this is a prophetic picture for someone today. That you're feeling that, you know, there's, there's no turning back. What's happened has happened, and that is my lot in life now. This is set me on a path, and, and that's it. But I believe that God is restoring people today. And He's going, you know what? Your circumstances do not define you. Your circumstances are not your identity. Your circumstances are not who I created you to be. You are my child, and your rightful place is seated at my table. Now, now when you sit at a table, so when you sit, pretend there's a table. When you sit at a table, you're not looking at people's feet. Right? You can't actually see. People say, kids know that because they like to pick their siblings under the table and hope that nobody gets around up. The key is just like keeping your face normal and like not moving your whole body. So it just needs to be like a little tap, not a whole body tap. It's a whole body tap, everyone's going to know, especially when the other person yells. But when you sit at a table, you can't see their feet. So whether you were six feet tall 
or you know, small in stature, when you sit at a table, you're the same. You can't see your disability, you can't see um, if one person's got one leg or two. You can't see if they're in crutches, you can't see what it is that sets them apart and makes them different. So everyone is on an even playing field, so to speak, or an even table. When Mephibosheth sat at the table with David, his disability didn't come into play. It didn't, it didn't change, but it was covered by the table. Mephibosheth was still lame, still disabled, still had the same, the same injuries. But every time he sat down at that table, he was covered. His disability was covered. His hurt was covered. His shame was covered. His disability was unseen. His inadequacy went unnoticed. His honour was restored because his rightful place was at that table. Reconciliation was seated at that table. You know, he'd grown up in a household that had considered David the enemy. You know, imagine that, like, granddad's going out to hunt David again. Hopefully we'll bring home his head. You know, that, like, he was the enemy, we're going to get him. You know, but here he was, years later, being honoured and having unmerited grace and favour and being shown incredible kindness from the one that he least expected it from. We are invited to sit at the king's table every single day. You know, and when we take our, scene, our seat at that place, we are seen. Not, not our sin, not our shame, not our guilt, <coughs> not our inadequacies. We are seen. It says in Genesis um, that you are the God who sees me. And I love that because so often we get caught up and we'll, well, you know, I'm a mum or this is my job or I do this or I do that or God, oh, I've done bad things in my life. I can't come back from it. You don't know what I've done. The mess that I've made of my life, I've really stuffed up. But God doesn't see our mess. We tend to focus on our mess, on, on, on how we've stuffed things up. But God doesn't see it. See you are the God who sees me. You see the child that you created, the one that you designed, who was purposed before we were even a thought in our parents' eye. The one who is not a mistake, who you created and designed on purpose for a purpose. You are the God who sees me, not my niece. When we take a seat at the table in the presence of the king, we are covered by the grace and the blessing of that table. We are covered by his presence. In the context of Easter, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, who gave his life for us, so that we will not perish but that we can have eternal life with him. That we can have, um, we can come into the presence of God. That we do not need to sacrifice animals or sacrifice the vanity or whatever to come into that presence because it's a gift that is given to us freely. We are covered by the table in the presence of the King who shows us unmerited grace and favour. Who gives us what we do not deserve but instead offers reconciliation and redemption. It restores hope and makes us clean and whole again. Jesus gave his life so that our sin would be covered. So that we can be seated at the king with the King of Kings at the table. Now, there is nothing any of us can do that can disqualify us from this. 
It's a gift freely given and perfected on the cross. You know, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it shows so many times Jesus came with so many different people. And they go, no, don't go eat with that person. You don't understand. You're a sinner. Don't go to that person's house. They're a tax collector. We don't like them. And society and, and people would yell, Jesus, don't go there. Don't sit with that person. But prostitutes, murderers, and thieves, Jesus loved them all. And he sat with them and he ate with them. And he said, come into my presence because my grace is sufficient for you. What I have is sufficient for you. I don't see your situation or your circumstances. I see you, my child, my father created, who I gave my life for. Now, as we head, head towards Easter, I just want to encourage you for these next coming, coming weeks. Don't be afraid to sit at the king's table. Don't be afraid to take a moment to sit with God, to enter into his presence. Because it's actually your birthright. As a child of God, it is your birthright to be in his presence. He's, he's laid it all out for you. He's laid a table out waiting for you, a table of grace, a table of blessing, a table of provision. And he wants to eat with you. We, um, we recently moved our dining table down to another room in the house. Our house is kind of weird. But our kitchen didn't have enough room for the table and so what we found is the table would just kind of get covered in junk next to the kitchen sink and the oven and everything and we ended up eating in one of the lounges with having a neat eat, you know didn't replace it there. but it wasn't such a good thing for family relationship so we moved the table down to the other end of the house and it's in the speedy room and that seems weird but it makes perfect sense <laughs> to see that house the, fr- the fridge is there the fridge is there so, so it, makes, yeah. it makes sense Everybody has a fridge and a table and they're awesome. But we sit there and we, and we have family tea. And as we come together and we, and we sit there and we talk about one another, we can ask, hey, Ashley, how's David? Hey, Charlie, how's school going? Tell us about that boy. Right? We can sit there and we can talk. We can ask questions of one another. And there's a unity that comes from that. And we get to hear about what's going on in each other's world. We get to hear about what's going on in each other's lives. And we each of us get a chance to talk. And we all get a chance to listen. Now when we sit with God, that's what he wants for us. He wants us to sit with him. To talk with him. To tell us about our day. To tell us about our day. To, to, um, to just have a relationship with him. He wants us to take time to talk. But he also wants us to take time to listen. Because he's got things to say to. Hey God, how was your day? Hey God, what's happening? Now he wants us to. It's a very short conversation. I'm listening. He's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Okay, so he wants us to take that time to be with him, to sit with him. And when he sits here, he's not looking at, oh wow, you sinned today. So I can't spend time with you. No, no. Because we sin every day. Because we're human. But he wants to take time to sit with us. And go, you know what, you my kids, I love you. I want to spend time with you. And the table, the table of my grace covers your inadequacy. Covers your guilt. Covers your shame. I just want to spend time with my kids. And he's laid it all out for you already. Grace. 
redemption, reconciliation, healing, hope, provision. It's all there for you. It's a place of redemption, a place of healing, a place of restoration. And there's a seat at that table just for you. You're welcome there. You're not disqualified. It's your birthright to sit at that table because you're a child of the King. I want to encourage you to pop a chair, take a moment, sit at the table with your King today and see what he does, see what he has to say and experience being covered by his face, covered by his measurable love and favour. Amen. We're just going to step back into a bit of time of worship, but I just want to encourage you, you know, there's nothing that disqualifies you from the presence of God and all that he has for you. If you've been away from him, he wants to reconcile you to him today. If you've been, you know, weighed down by the weight of your inadequacy, if you're doubting or ashamed of the guilt or whatever, he wants to lift you up out of it today. He wants to give you victory. He wants to set you upon your rightful place. Not down here in the mess, but here at the king's table. So that you today, we'd love to pray with you. I'm going to step into some, into some worship. But we'd love to pray with you if you want to pray. Also, if you don't know this Jesus, who has a place prepared for you, who loves you, regardless of what has happened or what things look like, we'd love to introduce you. Because it's the most amazing thing you could do. The most amazing relationship and encounter you could ever have. It doesn't make everything perfect. It's not like magic wand and suddenly things don't, you know, life has no troubles. We all skip bleefully down the road. It doesn't work like that. But it means that you're not journeying through things on your own. But he is there every step of the way with you, guiding you. He's there anyway. But he's a gentleman. He wants to invite him into those situations. And so I just want to encourage you. We'd love to introduce you to him if you don't know Amen. Father, so I just want to thank you for each person here. Lord, well, I thank you that you have prepared a place for them at the King's table. That regardless of who they are, where they've been, Father, that you want to restore and reconcile them to you. That if there have been things that have happened in the past, Lord, that, that, have, that have weighed them down, they've held them back, they have formed their identity as anything other than your child. And Father, Lord, well, I thank you that you want to lift them up today out of that and sit with them, and eat with them, and be in their presence. And I pray that each of us may know what it is, is to enter into your presence, to know what it is, is to have your identity as your child. And may we know you intimately, may we know you personally, not just as someone in the Word, someone that nice stories are written about, but we may we have that intimate relationship with with you, where we know that we know that we know beyond all doubt that you are a father, that you are good. May we know your unmerited grace that we so do not deserve, and your incredible favour and our love and peace. Jesus' name, amen.